April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. I am proud to say that this episode of Anchored is made possible by you. Want to keep sharing the love? Then please leave a review about Anchored online. What started as a project to help archive a glimpse of our history has since turned into an incredible community of loyal listeners. Already at over two and a half million downloads, it's clear that these stories are not falling upon deaf ears. And for that, I thank you. Chico Fernandez is one of the most charismatic people I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. A saltwater fly fishing pioneer, he was the first fly fisher in Cuba, and after he and his family immigrated to the United States, he continued his legacy in Florida, where he remains to this day. Chico is a jazz lover, a writer, and a romantic. I was able to steal him for a quick visit in the corner of the ICAST lobby to learn a little more about the famous name I've heard about for so many years. I was born in Cuba, in Havana. My parents were born also in Cuba. My grandparents were born in Spain and came to Cuba. They came to Cuba because my grandfather, my grand-grandfather, got in a fight with the governor over there, over a lady, and punched him. And the punishment was he was still, uh, he was a high uh, level, uh, like a commander in the army, and they didn't take that away from him, but now he was working in Cuba. Uh. And the whole family had to go there. And so my father was born in Cuba. I was born in Cuba to a family of fishermen. Both my father, on my, my grandfather on my mother's side and on my father's side fought on the revolution for independence of Cuba uh, from Spain in 1895, 1898. So I am what they call a Mambi descendant. Uh, I'm very proud that they fought, uh, sometimes without guns, with machetes, and very interesting and colorful uh, times those were. They sound like warriors. Yes, yes. I came to Miami in 1959. I was almost 18, 17 and three quarters or so. So I was already a teenager. I had already dated uh, I remember taking a date to Tropicana and, and hearing uh, Nat King Cole only 10, 15 feet from me. He was wonderful. Nat, Nat was wonderful. But I came here, and uh, my father thought that we were going to go back soon because Castro wasn't going to last long. It was communism. But obviously, he's lasted many, many years, so we never went back. Some of my friends have gone back to Cuba. Uh, I didn't want to go back, but just recently, just in the last year, I've decided to go back, and with Costa Sunglasses, we're going to do a film of my returning to Cuba, since now we found that I was the first Cuban fly fisherman, the first uh, Cuban-born fly fisherman. When I started fly fishing in Cuba, there was no one fly fishing at all. I was the only one. People thought I had a whip. And, and I was going to hurt somebody with that. But anyway, those were the times of the, of the, of the middle 50s. And, and so I've been here all this time now. This is fascinating. Okay, Thank so you, you. you ended up staying here. What got you into fly fishing? My parents were very poor at great part of my life. Then my dad got into real estate and politics, made a lot of money all of a sudden. 
we had a lot of money. We had chauffeurs. I was racing Ferraris and Mercedes-Benz and da-da-da. And he bought a yacht. And I don't know why, but my dad could not find a Cuban captain that was of his liking or had the skills. He brought a guy from, from Miami, Don Roban. And Don spoke a little Spanish, which we needed because we didn't speak any English. And Don was a fly fisherman. And I saw the fly line in the air. I'm a romantic at heart. I became enamored with that. And uh, soon I was buying an Orvis bat and kill, a bamboo rod, fishing for snook and tarpon and so on. I was already a spin fisherman. I was already a fisherman because I was born to a family of fishermen. We did a lot of fishing with a hand line even big fish with hand lines. But this fly fishing just just captured me. Just, uh, it was just enchanting. Where did your career go from here? At well, the, I mean, at the time, not now, but back then. Back then, I came and, and went to college, uh, went to University of Miami and studied business. Uh, but I was fly fishing all this time with a few f- uh, friends, uh, Flip Pallet and Norman Duncan and John Emery. We made our own fly line sometimes with a piece of 200-pound monofilament. We would sand it to a shape of a weight-forward line and make our own fly line because fly lines were $8 in those days, and I could go on a date on $8, so it wasn't about buying a fly line. (laughs) So we made our own fly line. And through the 60s, I was studying and so on. Then I went to work. I knew the fellow that invented Burger King. Oh, okay. uh, uh, Jim McLemore, Burger King was uh, was uh, created in Miami in, in uh, Coral Way, 24th Street. He had the company; it was going very well, competing with McDonald. And I became the budget director for Burger King. Okay, so if you can imagine this three-piece suit and the whole works. But I just hated going to an office eight to five. I could have gone further for I knew the owner and president and CEO and he liked me. So I quit. All of a sudden, I just quit. I was already married to the to the lady that I was married all my life, a Pennsylvania gal. And um, she went crazy. What are you going to do? I, I don't know. I'm going to find myself. I went to Coconut Grove, listened to jazz, did a lot of fly fishing. And little by little, I started writing about fly fishing, tying flies, and sort of got in the business and and it took a long time my wife Marilyn she passed away a year ago but Sorry. we were married 48 years and she was an international flight attendant so we travel a lot so she she really was making the money for the first few years until I got going and then I was making money too and and so on and from there on uh, for this last 40 years I've been I guess I've been a professional fly fisherman. This is your full-time job, isn't it? It's a full-time job, indeed, (laughs) indeed. Did you ever guide? No, I never guided. You know, it wasn't my inclination to guide. I don't know why. I was more into writing, into giving talks, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I didn't I didn't guide. That, that was just my, my way. That's uh, fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So wh- how did you make a living at it then? And I don't need all the specifics and the details, but what would you what would you call yourself? Would you call yourself a writer? Would you call yourself... At the, at the time, I would... The, the job was, was called outdoor writer. And I, I was an outdoor writer in the field of fly fishing. Now, because I'm also a cook, my mother was a gourmet cook, my wife was a great Pennsylvania cook with a... Uh, chicken and dumpling and 
and apple pie and she came we, we married and she came into a Cuban uh, culture so she learned to make black beans and rice and Cuban red beans with chorizo sausage and pumpkin because I came from that world I'm a cook and I love to eat so if I went to Spain to fish for Atlantic salmon I wrote about the Atlantic salmon, but I also wrote about the potages that are there, the, the seafood, etc. I would add a bit of the, of the food stuff, partly for myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, so I did that. And as we spoke before we started, I'm, I'm a jazz historian and I'm a great fan of jazz. And I've met many of the great jazz musicians. I got to know Dizzy Gillespie real well, and Diz taught me a lot about jazz. So, so because... Cool. Because I was so involved with that, I also wrote about about jazz, about making a living. But in jazz, no one makes a living. Right. The musician can't make a living. The guy who has the place where they play doesn't make enough money, and the writer certainly doesn't make enough money. But I didn't care. I wrote about that. But right. that's that's how it went. How many books have you published? I published two books: uh, Fly Fishing for Bonefish and Fly Fishing for Redfish. That just came out. They're large books. They're a $50 book, eight and a half by 11, hardcover, 140,000 words, and 110, 120 photographs. They're in Amazon, and they're also an ebook because we need to be an ebook too. Yeah, times are changing, aren't T- they? Times are changing. What would you call yourself? Would you call yourself a a tarpon specialist, a bonefish specialist. Where, where you do know, you specialize? You know, my specialty is saltwater fly fishing. In general. In general, I travel all over the world. I, I've been to Alaska. I've been to uh, Tierra del Fuego, almost at the s- South Pole. But it's saltwater fly fishing. Okay, talk to me a little bit about Cuba today. I don't know how familiar. I mean, you obviously haven't been back since you were no. 17 I, I haven't been back. Uh, you know, we have a communist uh, country over there. Um, the average guy makes, uh, if he works hard, can make twenty twenty five dollars a month, even if you're a doctor or an engineer. So you know the poverty there is is is, is terrible. Uh, but now many many people from all over the world, especially Italy and Canada, and now United States are going, and they bring the dollar. And of course, they're very well accepted. Someone that makes twenty, the the equivalent of $20 a month and you're going to tip them $20 for the day. You can only imagine how much money that means. Yeah. And that's the reason I didn't go back. I just didn't want to support that. But uh, Costa del Mar Sunglasses wants to to do a film, as we were talking before, of me going back and fishing in the old places I used to fish, listening to jazz in the old places, Cuban jazz, but it's improvised jazz, you know, uh, with a Cuban rhythm. And going to the places I used to eat, my dad, my dad knew Hemingway pretty well, uh, who was kind of an abrupt, rough guy. He wasn't a sweetheart. But Hemingway had several places that he liked to eat, Floridita, that every American now knows is one of the restaurants and so on. And I used to go to all those places, and I want to go back. I want to. I want to go back. I miss it. Yeah, it's my country. You have to go back. Yes, yes. I think you have to go back. Yes, yes. And when we do, then I'm going to write a book explaining why it's so emotional, and it's going to be terribly emotional to go back, explaining 
my grandparents in Spain coming to Cuba fighting in the War of Independence. One of my one of my um, grandparents who lived in a little town called Manzanillo realized his dream after he came back from the war. He became the judge of Manzanillo. And I have all photos of him with handlebar mustache and a complete linen suit and what we call a hippie hapa hat, uh, which is really a Panama hat with a hippie hapa straw. Uh, very proper. Uh, I hear he was pretty strict. Okay. <laughs> now, do you have children? Yes, yes. I, uh, my son is an attorney, a trial attorney, and my daughter-in-law is an environmental attorney. And I have two two girls, two two grandchildren, granddaughters, and one is going to be three, and one is going to be five, and they love Grandpa Chico. They call me Grandpa Chico, and we play and we we do high tea, very proper, with only one little cookie. You know, I want to eat a Cuban sandwich. No, Grandpa Chico, this is very proper. I have to eat a little cookie and 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 the tea, and we sit on the floor, and I love playing with them. You know, you have this really soft soul about you. I've been trying to find you for two days. And even though we're here in Orlando and we're in this noisy lobby with this tragic music in the background, I know. it's worth it for me just to be able to look you in the eye because, Chico, I knew your name and I knew what you looked like on Google, but you need to look in someone's eye to be able to see, you know, the personality. And you're a very romantic soul, aren't you? I, I am. I am a romantic at, at heart. I, I really do. And I like some of the old ways I, I'm if I may say so I'm, I'm an expert on canoeing uh, I stand up and pull my canoe the way the Indians did a long time ago and I use the old fashioned wood canoes and people don't understand this but you get in a canoe in a foot or less of water and you pull it you can pull it three miles an hour you can pull it faster than you can walk you'd have to run to keep up and I at my 76 and a half years old I can still pull it all day so I can move that canoe 20 miles in one day and go through the Everglades and in all kinds of area and it's so great because it's the way it was done years ago you push in the canoe with a stick usually by the way on the average is 12 feet long and uh, I like that basic without the internet, without uh, bringing, bringing the, 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 the office to the outdoors. Very basic. I bring my Cuban sandwiches, which I love, and, and some Coke or some Cuban Coke, which is called iron beer, iron beer but it's a Coke. <laughs> just sweeter, just more sugar, of right. course. Uh, and, and it's so basic. And you find yourself. You, you find yourself out there. So you're still fishing a lot? Oh, yes, I still fish a lot. Yeah, I still fish quite a bit. Well, how do you spend your days? Usually writing, if I'm not fishing or traveling, usually writing. At my age, in order to do what I do and not be very fat, because I like to eat, uh, trying to keep my waist under 36 inches, uh, I walk two miles, a 17-minute mile, and I do Tai Chi. And I have a lot, a huge family, amount of family in Miami because my grandmother had 12 children. All of them have children. Now, when you go back to Cuba, have you thought about bringing your son with you? Oh, I'm going to bring my son with me. You are? Oh, good. Okay. He'll be part of the film. There's another side to this. Cuba has very high mountains on the East Coast. The highest mountain, Pico Turquino, Turkish Point, if you want to translate it, is 6,200 feet. My dad, 
when he was young, was a Boy Scout, climbed that mountain. It's not a climbing straight up. It's, it's a walk, but it's a tough walk. I want to see if I can climb the mountain with my son, too, so I want to do that also. You know, Cuba has many birds that don't exist any other part in the, in the world. It has the smallest uh, hummingbird in the world. It's the size of a bead. It has uh, hawks and parrots that have never been seen in any other part of the world. And while it has snakes and it has a, uh, several uh, big rat-type animals that are very good to eat, it doesn't have any poisonous or dangerous animal. So at any part of the jungle, and some of the jungles, the trees are 80 feet high, you can go to sleep at the edge of the, of the tree there and not get bitten by anything. There, there's no moccasin or rattlesnake or anything else. By the time we came to the state, uh, my dad left all the money and all the riches and everything else all there. Lost most everything. He left all yeah. that behind. Yeah, we weren't, wasn't driving expensive cars and we didn't have butlers anymore. We came here and it was different. Have you thought about writing a book on this? I very much thought, and I think that's what I'm going to do next. I think you need yeah. to. I'll tell you something else that will surprise you. When we had to come in a rush because communists came, my dad came with my son in a small airplane. I came on my Mercedes-Benz from Havana to United States. How did I do that? Y yeah. Because in the old days, there was a ferry that came from Havana to Key West. And it, it, it left at 6 o'clock in the evening, and you were in Key West at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. So I got my mom, some of the jewelry. My mom had beautiful four, five-carat diamond and baguette emeralds and uh, uh, Bacheron Constantine watches and Pate Philippe watches and so on and so forth. We did bring some of the jewelry, but we got in the car, uh, landed in Key West, and came from Key West to Miami and met dad and I kept the Mercedes for a while a 190 SL two-seater four-speed and then sold it to finance uh, college and so on the the Cubans that came in at the beginning we were very much about get a job pay taxes yeah. and then vote it wasn't about can the government give me food stamp we never we never took book stamp we never took anything we uh, went to work my dad eventually got a business making banana chips with Cubans don't eat potato chips. Well, they eat everything, but they don't make potato chips. They're known for banana chips, which are called mariquitas. And he had a company that made banana chips. So that's how he made his money while he was here, and that's how he paid taxes, and he felt like he belonged and he could vote. Uh, and I believe in that very strongly, you know. He sounds you know. like he had, and like you have, pretty strong work ethic. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. So yeah. you got your degree, you tried the corporate thing, it didn't work for you, yeah, and you followed work. your heart to fishing. And, and, and went to that, yes. And I had to do it again, I probably got would have gotten a uh, four-degree in marine biology, and then I would have gotten a, a master or something in creative writing. I like novels a lot, I like mysteries. I think you need to write your story about you. That's what I think. I okay. think you need to write your story. I would buy that so fast. Oh, thank you. To read thank your book. you so much. Well, look, I don't want to take up your time. I know that we're at iCast and it's absolute chaos here. Is there is there anything in particular about your life that you wanted to add into the mix that I just don't know to ask? Hmm. To to the young people, the teenagers especially. You need to follow your heart, but you need to take time and look inside yourself 
and decide what is it you want to do because you're so young and yet this is the time you have to decide what you want to do. And you don't want to end up selling insurance when you wish you had written a poem. And I have friends that write poems and make a living. And I have several friends that are painters, that are artists, that are making a decent living. Some of them have had to take a PhD in, in Europe by the time they ended uh, to become a painter, but they did that. So you don't have to be an attorney, a CPA, a doctor. Uh, think hard of who you are. I hate to see you spend a lifetime doing a job you don't like and doing what you love on the weekend. I love it. Work ethic, integrity, romance, and fishing. You are like my dream come true. Where have you been all my life? Well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get back to life. Thank you so much for taking time to sit with me. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chico. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Be sure to tune in next week as I travel to Michigan to sit down with Pete Humphreys to dissect the Spaycast. 